Well, I'm so glad for you to be here this morning. We started the series last week, Who Needs God Anymore? And uh, what dr- what's driving this series is my heart breaks for the going, growing percentage of people in this country uh, who are migrating away from faith and away from Christianity and into the not interested category for them, but also for the next generation. In fact, this was one of the core factors that drove us five years ago to even start this community in Wichita called New Life because uh, this, this city exceeds the national average by more than double. Half of this city would check the none box, the no religious affiliation box. They're just, they're just nuns and duns. They're done with church. They're done with religion. And some of you are in that category. In fact, again, we created this community for you, for those of you that are joining us online. And uh, so this series is for you. And the series is for those of you who would say, you know what, I'm pretty solid in, in my faith, and I'm solid in my faith in God and my faith in the one who predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection, but you feel intimidated or you feel ill-equipped to have these kinds of conversations. So this is just me partnering with you no matter where you fall on that spectrum by having a direct, intellectually honest conversation about this. Uh, So I'm trying to equip you, and for others of you, I'm trying to persuade those of you who are on the verge of or who have walked away at some point in the point in the past to inspire you enough to to convince you to give Jesus and Jesus's version of the vision that he had for Christianity to give it another look because most times most times it isn't Jesus's fault that people walk away most people that walk away it's because of people who do what I do it's because of churches. It's because of Christians who have embraced a version of Christianity that doesn't accurately or actually represent Jesus' Jesus's vision for his church and what his followers would look and sound like. It's our fault why so many people have found church and religion and Christianity specifically so unappealing. Now, some of you were here last week, and uh, you were thrown off a little bit because I didn't even use the Bible, even though I told you I wasn't going to use the Bible. And for some of you, you might uh, wonder if I'm a heretic, if I don't really believe in God, because I will sometimes say from this stage what I suspect or what I've heard others that are skeptics, what I've heard them say. So in my effort to state their thoughts, I might sound as if I share their thoughts. And as a heads up, once again today, I'm not going to use the Bible intentionally because I'm intentionally not giving faith-based answers to fact-based questions. So, but we will get to the Bible, okay? So if you leave or you log off today and you end, you don't go, wow, he didn't use the Bible again. I'm not even sure if he believes in God. I don't think we can go or watch here anymore. Just, okay, I only get 35 minutes, all right? So just hang in there. This is the beginning of a longer conversation. And today, we're continuing the conversation. So if you missed last week, please go to newlifewichita.com where you can watch or download the podcast. We're also on iTunes, so you can go listen to the podcast. Because last week, we started as far left in the conversation as we could as possible. Now, last week, we identified that there's certain, certain things about theism and God and Christianity in particular that are unsettling. So that sometimes causes us or oftentimes leads us to doubt. But on the other hand, there's something about a godless universe where everything is reduced to the laws of physics and chemistry and biology, and that for many of us is unsettling as well. So more and more people would just say, honestly, I just, when it comes to religion and Christianity in particular and to theism, I I have doubts. I, I have doubts. But when I think about embracing atheism, that's not appealing either. So 
a lot of people just feel stuck somewhere in the middle. Like, do I prefer despair, as we talked about last week, that there's no actual purpose to life or to your life, that there is nothing but birth, struggle, and then death, and then three generations later, no one even remembers your name, okay, and that's just all there is. And now, that may be true, and if you're someone who would say, you know, I'm, I'm losing, or I've lost faith, or I'm, I'm doubting, or I'm pre- I feel like I'm pretending, the good news is, you're not alone. This has been happening since the beginning. Okay, once upon a time, the most sophisticated civilization in the world worshipped the sun. Another worshipped Zeus, but today there aren't, and another Jupiter, but today there aren't many people that worship the sun or Zeus or Jupiter anymore, so people have quit believing in God or gods all the time. In fact, Richard Dawkins, he just sums it up well when he writes this. He said, we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one God further. In fact, in early, Christian, early Christians were considered atheists because they didn't worship the pantheon of God or the deified Caesar. But the message of the Christians were of the Christians were, were that you, was that you, you've got the wrong God. And as I've heard, as I've listened to, as I've sat over coffee and had these conversations, as I've read stories of deconversion, what breaks my heart is when I hear or when I read people's reasons, I go, wait a minute, I, I don't believe in that God either. And there seem to be two or three main uh, versions of deconversion stories, and maybe this uh, is is your version. Uh, Grew up in a religious environment, maybe not even Christian, experienced some sort of childhood conversion, and then you transition transition to an irreligious environment. So maybe your family moved, you changed friends, you went off to college, you joined the military, then suddenly you're, you're in an irreligious environment. And you kind of like it. In fact, you kind of like it better. And, and then you began to ask adult questions about your childhood faith. And in response, you received faith-based answers to fact-based questions. And maybe one day it just dawned on you, I, I just, I don't believe anymore. Like, I don't, I don't, you're not even sure exactly when or why it happened. You're just driving home from school or you're lying in bed one night and you're just kind of thinking and it just dawns on you. I just, I don't know if I believe it anymore. Maybe your story is a little bit different. Maybe your story hinges on something that happened. I grew up in a religious environment, experienced a childhood conversion of some sort, and then you experienced a crushing, devastating event that hurt or just wiped out your faith. And so you too began asking adult questions of your childhood faith, and your response uh, may be, you know, I wanted to believe, but I just couldn't believe anymore. I could not reconcile the good, the God that I grew up with with the realities of life, of my life. So I couldn't believe anymore. Your story may be that nothing really happened. I just started asking questions, and maybe my parents could answer those questions. And the pastor, he gave me answers that were unsatisfactory. Maybe somebody gave you a book, but it just just did not effectively address your questions. And you just thought your way away from religion in general, or away from a version of Christianity. And when I say a version of Christianity, regardless of what your story is, you grew up with a particular view or a version of Christianity. It may have been super fundamentalist, it may have been super liberal, it may have been super conservative, maybe super charismatic or Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic, you know, hands up, hands in your pockets, don't dance, don't drink, because drinking might lead to dancing. And for everyone who steps away, like they step away from a version that they grew up with. 
And, and, and they all seem to share these two characteristics. A somebody told me so God, and a Bible told me so Jesus. A somebody told me so God. In other words, here's how God was presented. I, I was taught this is what God is like. This is how God operates. And so that was my picture of God, so I stepped away. And a Bible told me so Jesus that uh, every time I asked a question, they would say, well, the Bible says and the Bible teaches. And I was like, okay, but what you're telling me doesn't reconcile with my experience or with reality. So in every version of Christianity where people walk away, there is some version of Christianity that they walk away from. Some version of a somebody told me so God and a Bible told me so Jesus. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to talk about something I have talked about here before. And that is, a somebody told me so, God. And then next week, we're going to talk about, a, some, a Bible told me so, Jesus. And you really don't want to miss next week, okay? So please invite your skeptic, your agnostic friends to come sit with you. Offer to buy them lunch. And every now and then I say this, and I'm just going to repeat it. If you invite somebody to come to church with you, and you bribe them for lunch, but you can't afford to buy them lunch, you come to me after service, I will give you the money you need to take them to lunch. Okay, not firebirds, but somewhere nice. Okay, so, uh, and I'm serious. That's how important this is, okay? So let's start with a, somebody told me, so God. A person who really gets to the core of this tension is, is uh, an amazing person named Karen Armstrong. Karen was a Roman Catholic N-U-N who became an N-O-N-E, okay, and at 24 she deconverted, she became a nun, uh, a different kind of nun, and she kind of created or leaned into this mystical religion, it's kind of hard to pin down. She's super smart, does TED Talks, she's got extraordinary insights, and in her book, Case for God, she writes this, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remains somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that He existed. And to some degree, this is all of our experience, because most of us were presented with a concept of God when we were very young. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is to, again, talk about something I've talked about before because, number one, we're forgetful, and number two, we've added a lot of new faces, and, and this is just so important. So I'm going to talk about the gods that we grew up with that do not exist, and you should stop believing in these because these gods don't exist. But though your version of God doesn't exist, that does not mean there isn't a God who exists. Okay, so our growing up gods, we're going to go through these quick. The first one is bodyguard God. And this is the God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And as we get older, from time to time, we see really bad things happening to some really good people, and it undermines our faith. Now, many, many very bright people have walked away or abandoned faith, faith in God because of personal pain and suffering. I'm going to spend an entire week on, weekend on that in two weeks. So you don't want to miss that. I just want to touch on it briefly because this is the version of God that's left over from childhood like Santa Claus. Somebody told you, or the assumption is that somewhere along the way that God claimed that he would never allow bad things to happen to good people. But you see, this is not an argument for or against God. Okay, let me flip it. If bad things never happened to good people, you could not then logically deduce that there must be a good God. This is not an argument for or against 
the existence of God. Holding up bad things happening to good people and then saying, well, there must not be a God because bad things happen to good people. And I hear this all the time. I hear this argument all the time. I see it all the time on social media and in conversation. And on on the surface, it makes sense. On the surface, it makes sense. And again, don't miss two weeks from now, but this is not an argument for or against God. The fact is Christianity started with a very, very horrible thing happening to a very, very horrible, uh, amazing, good person. So if at any point Christianity had taught or presented God as a God that never allows bad things to happen to good people, it never would have made it out of the first century. Because beginning with Jesus and all the first century heroes of the Christian faith, all of them were treated terribly by the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders, and it cost them their lives and their livelihood. So the idea that a good God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people, I don't know where you got that, but you didn't get it from Christianity. So if you're losing or have lost faith in bodyguard God, that's a good thing. Because bodyguard, bodyguard God does not exist. And if your faith hinge, or if your faith hinges on a God who will protect good people from bad things, eventually you will see and experience enough bad things in your life, in the life of others, that your faith will fall apart and collapse. But perhaps you have the wrong guard, the wrong God. Similar to bodyguard guard God is on-demand God. On-demand God is the God who responds to fair and selfless requests the way that we would. It's the God who would obviously, you know, you go, look, God, I'm not asking you to change the world. I'm just asking for a date, okay? Or God, I, I just, I need a good grade. I need college acceptance. I'm just asking for this job that I'm totally qualified for. I'm, I'm asking for this promotion, again, that I've earned or recognition, a little extra money or whatever, or that you would ha- help my friend for them to get a job or a date. On-demand God is the God that would answer my prayer and respond to my reasonable request. I'm not asking for anything big, but if I believe there's, that God's a personal God, well then, when I need or I want something, all right, well, God should do what I want or give me what I need. But that's not your experience, right? I mean, you asked for an answer and you heard nothing. You asked for a sign and you saw nothing. You asked for a miracle or maybe something small, and you received nothing. So you conclude there must not be a God. And you're right. On-demand God does not exist. So it's okay to quit believing in that God. But here's the question. Who told you God always responds the way you expect? Who told you that God is under some obligation to respond the way you expect him to respond. Where did that come from? Because that God obviously doesn't exist. And honestly, we should be glad. Because as I think back at some of the prayers that I prayed, especially as a younger man, if God had done for me what I had asked, asked, I would have missed out on so much. And quite honestly, there are certain areas my life would be a train wreck. Okay? If I had gotten her instead of the one that I got, I'm just telling you. Okay? The third version of God is boyfriend God. It's the God whose presence is always felt. God is always with me, uh, that I should always feel his presence. And if you grew up in church, if you grew up, maybe you had those kinds of uh, cool, like last night at camp moments or uh, some big program. You had maybe had those uh, moments uh, on like a worship moment or a worship night or something. 
uh, maybe there was a quiet time moment or something just extraordinary happened in your life, and it was just one of those moments or you experienced moments where you just, just seem to sense the presence of God in your life. And then you get older and you don't sense the presence of anything. And you, and you go, well, God, I want to feel your presence. And you read your Bible and you pray and you show up in church. And maybe there's times you show up and, you know, a couple of two or three people or other people, they'll have, they'll have their hands up. And they're like, I'm in the same environment. I think they're making it up because I don't feel anything. Because at some point along the way, you were told that, you know, God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And someone told you or you assumed that what that meant was, is I will always feel or regularly feel the presence of God. But since I don't feel his presence, he must not be present. Well, who told you that? In fact, did, I mean, do, are you aware that you are least aware of the things that are most constant? I mean, this entire time you have been breathing, but you, none of you grab the person next to you go like, oh my gosh, I'm breathing. You know, your heart has been beating this entire time. You know, you didn't wake up this morning and go, oh my gosh, my heart is beating. Now, the older I get, I think the day will come where I'm going to wake up and be surprised. Like, oh man, I'm still alive. My heart's beating. But we normally don't. Okay, right now we are traveling at 67,000 miles an hour around the sun. And there's barely a breeze outside. Okay, this constant, this is, you know, 20 miles a blink. This has been going on our entire life with no effort. So the things that are most constant, we are most unaware of. And so the, the point is, where did you get the idea that somehow you'll constantly or regularly feel the presence of God in your life? In fact, there's a moment in the life of Jesus where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do that? Because in that moment, even though from my perspective, he had the laser focus attention of God in his life, he did not feel God's presence. Mother Teresa expressed it this way. For nearly half a century of her life, she said she felt no presence of God whatsoever. In fact, in an interview, she once said, Jesus has a very special place and love for you. As for me... The silence and the emptiness are so great that I look and do not see, I listen and do not hear. And for some of you, somebody set an expectation that when uh, you went, and then you went for a month or a year or for a long time and felt nothing, well, boyfriend God, the God whose presence has always felt, if you quit believing in that God, good, because that God doesn't exist either. And then here's a Here's the version of God that we really want to quit believing in. I had a conversation with a young uh, a, a student at Wichita State about this just three or four weeks ago. Uh, this is one you really want to quit believing in, but somehow this, this God just haunts us. And the people that are ever fully able to stop believing, they, they, there's just very few of them. And that's guilt God. And guilt God c- controls you through guilt and fear. If it's enjoyable, the answer is no. If it's sexual, the answer is no. No, 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 no. Okay, this is the God that loves you, but he doesn't like you. And as soon as we can go off to college or go into the military and move away from our family of origin and get away from guilt God, we run. But even though we get away from the guilt God environment, in the moments that we, when we consider if God is there and if and when I sense that he ever even looks at me, the sense is when he looks at me, he's disappointed. Well, who told you that about God? A priest, a pastor, your parents, that's a somebody told me so 
God. And if you're one of those lucky, lucky people who grew up in a high guilt environment and you've been able to move so far away and able to quit believing in that God, isn't life better without guilt God? Now I know for some of you inside, you're kind of pushing back, well, well, what about, and does that mean I can do whatever I want? Are you saying, okay, I'm only saying what I'm saying. Okay, I got 35 minutes. Long conversation, okay? Uh, in fact, uh, after this series, we've got a series that's going to be great. It's called It's My Life. So that's why you need to come every week. We talk about this. Now, this next version of God, I feel like uh, the church has done a horrible job with, especially over the last 100 plus years, and that is the anti-science God. This is the God where you feel you're being forced to choose between undeniable science and unreliable religion. It's like, okay, this is what I was taught in church, but this is what they're saying in school or in science class. So I went to mom or dad or pastor or priest, and I got faith-based answers to fact-based questions. And you decide, I can't continue to pretend and defend and continue to live my life with my eyes closed because it seems like that religion and science conflict. But what we need to know, and what we know is that when religion and science could conflict, if we're an honest person, science must win. I mean, perhaps, you know, you grew up with the message, you know, quit thinking and just believe. Just start believing. Quit asking all those questions. Just believe. Now, we're going to talk about this next week. I mean, the whole idea that Christianity is just based on belief, that's something that people say, and that's just simply not true. It's absurd. Richard Dawkins, he nails it. Here's what he says. The only, uh, one of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. That it's a virtue to say, well, we just don't have to know. We just, we just believe. Uh, for many, the Sunday school God that they inherited from childhood or in middle school or as a high schooler that never went beyond that, that God can probably not withstand, not withstand or be reconciled uh, uh, with science. But God or science is a false alternative. And I can prove it. I can prove it through our own behavior. I can prove it through Christian parents for just a minute. So when your kid gets really, really sick, where do you take them? When our oldest, uh, he was a baby, and so we didn't know what we were doing. Okay, they let us take this human home from the hospital. That wasn't very smart. So, but he contracted a really high fever. He was just a few months old, and uh, it got to the point where we were taking care of him, but all of a sudden, we couldn't wake him up. And so, terrified, we jumped into the car, and we raced to our pastor's house. No, we did not, because we're not one of those people. Okay, we raced to the hospital with him. And by the way, if you ever want to get immediate attention in an ER, you walk in holding an infant going, I can't wake him up. You end up on the floor. They end up with possession of the child doing all they can to bring them back. By the way, he, he, he was fine. We, we aged, but we're okay. Uh, but, you know, we raced in the hospital because that's what we do. We, when a loved one is sick, if your child is sick, you take them to a doctor. Now, you may contact me or another pastor, or maybe you've got a small group. You get your, your friends that, you know, that they're, they're people of faith. I'm going to get them praying. Everybody pray. But you involve a doctor. You involve a hospital. 
And the doctor examines your child. This seems serious. There's a fever. We're not sure what it is, so we're going to run some tests. I mean, you've got people praying, but you're making sure that you're where the medical professionals can get to you very quickly. You've got your phone fully charged. It's in your hand. The phone rings, and the phys- or the physician comes out, says, hey, we got the labs back. And they look at you in the eye, and they say, we've got the labs back, and here's what we've concluded. We believe that God is really trying to teach you something. No, another no. Okay, we expect, and what we want to hear is we want to hear a natural scientific explanation with a natural scientific solution. I want you to tell me what's wrong with my child, okay, and then I want you to prescribe something and then explain what we're going to do in the physical scientific world to help fix and heal my child. Because when it comes to illness, when it comes to sickness with our loved ones, we are all about science. And the moment our theology conflicts with the discoveries of science, we have a theological problem, not a science problem. But as I think about the next generation, one of the things that we have done a terrible job through the decades as Christians in the church is that we've sent kids off to colleges and universities and graduate school with this false sense of conflict between faith and science. But if we lean into science for our health, Why wouldn't we lean into it for every other capacity? It's a false alternative. Because what Christians have historically believed is that God is the God who created the world. And that everything we discover is a discovery about how God did it. We are for somebody being out on the frontiers of our ignorance. Coming up with explanations for things that we can't explain. You're for that when it comes to medicine. And to curing diseases, you're for that when it comes to whatever your grandfather or your parent or your sibling or your child is dealing with, someone you love. So why wouldn't we be for that in every area? I mean, the origins of the universe, the process of creation that expands far beyond Hebrew poetry, huge segments of Christianity I have found have been so locked and loaded on defending and making literal and defending the, defending the literalness of every single text that are just not designed to capture all the intricacies of how God created. I mean, how could he possibly do that? The punchline isn't how God created. The punchline is that God created. Think of it this way. If you're not a Christian, hang on for just a second, okay? But if you're a Christian, you really believe that God created the universe, that all time, space, and matter were created and started by God. And we take seriously what science says, and that is that it all began in a moment. It all began with a singularity, the Big Bang. And in that moment, it unfurled the universe that continues to spread it and introduced into reality the laws of physics and nature. And if we believe that it all had a singular beginning moment, and there is a beginner, and in Genesis, Genesis, when God was finished, he what? He rested. He quit creating. He folded his arms, goes, boom, there you go. You got it going, okay? If you believe that God created all space, time, and matter and stopped, what would we expect to find in the universe? A predictable, stable, explainable universe. And it was Christians. It was Christians that launched the modern scientific movement. Da Vinci, Copernicus, Brahe, Bacon, Kepler, uh, Marius, Boyle, Descartes, Newton, Licinius. 
And the reason Christians were able to launch the modern science movement is because Christians believed that God created it and that He was done, and now we can observe it and learn from it, experiment with it, play with it, and it would be regular, and it would be predictable, and there would be cause and effect, and what happened one way uh, in, the same, what could, in this situation could happen the same way over and over and over again, and it would be regular and predictable. Before Christianity, there was no point in trying to understand a world that was at the whims of the pantheon of gods who constantly changed their minds, a pagan society that believed that everything was just at the random whims of, of, of the gods. I mean, in this environment, environment, science was impossible. In fact, there were certain segments of time and places where just a whisper of trying to understand things could cost you your life. But it was Christians who said, wait, no, there are regularities. They are predictable. It's the same way over and over again. We can, we can study, we can learn, we can come to understand things that we currently find a mystery. It birthed the modern scientific movement. Our faith actually rests on what's explainable because the universe is exactly as we would predict it if God created it, the heavens and the earth. So the gods we grew up with, uh, bodyguard God, bodyguard God, on-demand God, boyfriend God, guilt God, anti-science God, they don't exist. So if you quit believing in any of these, good. But this is huge. These are not reasons or arguments for or against God. And the person that says, you know, bad things happen, I can't believe in God, bad things happening, that's a reality. It's not an argument. It's not even evidence for anything other than that the God who doesn't allow bad things to happen, good, good people, doesn't exist. And I know inside of you, some of you are, are still going, again, but, okay, but what about, what about, okay, I know, we're only two weeks into six, okay? But here's what I want you to consider as we wrap up this part of the conversation. Now, I'm going to invite the, the band up. Now, these, these are not arguments for or against anything. These are just unmet expectations. These stem from childhood, uh, childhood explanations, uh, in some cases ill-informed, in some cases uneducated interpretations, in some cases I have seen again, it's so frustrating, just blatant manipulations of what God is like and what He'll do for you if you send in enough money. So, but just because the God you may have quit believing in or tempted to quit believing in doesn't exist, does not mean that there isn't a God that exists. So here's the question for all of us. Where did your view of the God you struggle to believe in originate? What did your view of the God you quit believing in, where did that come from? And did your God ever grow up, or did you just outgrow your God? Did your, do you carry a childhood God into adulthood? And it just couldn't withstand the rigors, rigors of adulthood. And you thought, well, that God must be the only God, and so God doesn't exist. Did your grown-up questions undermine, or are they undermining your childhood faith? So let me put it this way. Where do babies come from? Well, it depends on who's asking. <laughs> if a five-year-old asks, you answer one way. If a 15-year-old asks, you ask another way, answer another way. But you never lie. We accommodate. We accommodate to a child's capacity, but at some point, mommy's tummy no longer gets the job done. 
And just this is my concern, is that for some of you, you may have had a mommy's tummy God, or you have it, and you're just struggling to decide, I just don't know if I can believe in God anymore. And my point is simply this, is this, I'm simply suggesting that if you're thinking of walking away or have walked away, it may happen unnecessarily because it's about a God that never existed to begin with. Now, next week is a Bible told me so, Jesus. So if you've ever been tempted to walk away, and I know there are people in your life that have been tempted or have walked away from something in the Bible, then I want to encourage you, don't miss next week. Invite a friend to come sit with you, and again, tell them you're going to treat them to lunch. I'll help you with that if you need to. And please take an opportunity to, uh, the different ways we talked about connecting that Elizabeth shared on the front end as far as uh, we, we've got a worship prayer night this Wednesday. If that's something that would be an environment like you would feel that you could connect to. We've got New Life Halloween at the Highlands coming up. We've got Iron and Ale for men 21 and up coming up. And all that information is on that backboard. And you can even scan back there and get registered. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to pray. And then the band's going to play. And when they start playing, you just feel free to hang out, connect if you want. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. And uh, make sure if you want information about all these things that we talked about are going on, make sure we've got your contact information. You can do that at the welcome table. You can fill out a connect card. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to, to create a space and a place where we can just talk openly and honestly and have this kind of conversation so that we can take a step back and deal with some of the assumptions and presumptions that we've had from childhood. Father, that we can just recognize and honor intellectually honest questions and not be afraid of them, that somehow uh, this derails us from you or steals somehow from you, and, and that we can just be honest and never, ever belittle anyone for their doubts and their struggles, because if we had grown up the same way they did and experienced what they experienced, we would feel the same way. So, Father, I pray that you would use us and use our community in such a way that we would continue to grow in our understanding of you. It's so difficult to wrap our mind around this universe, let alone the idea of a God that transcends space and time, that created it all, and how we could possibly matter to you. So God, I, I thank you for this community, the men and women that have surrounded me in creating a place and a space like this, and uh, just give you all the glory this, for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.